Wow, indeed. Thank you so much for sharing your gifts with us this morning. Well, good morning and welcome to Roseville Covenant Church. Will you stand with me and sing Joy to the World? Amen. I invite you to be seated. I have a few fun announcements for you this morning. If you are looking for some places to gather and have community throughout this Advent season and into January, we've got some really fun things for you. We have our all uh, our winter retreat coming up in January. It's the 11th through the 13th, and it's the weekend that we head up to Covenant Pines and have an entire uh, full weekend of fellowship and rest, and we enjoy some snow. There's puzzles. If you don't really like the cold, me neither. I stay inside and put puzzles together and it's a really great time to be at camp and to enjoy our community and so you can find more information in the bulletin as well as on our website you can sign up online uh, another great thing we have going on this season is that there will be a women's Christmas gathering dessert at Ellie Kalaki's house on December 11th, and that information is also in the bulletin. You can RSVP or you can just um, show up, and it'll be a great uh, evening of fellowship, and we're going to have some cookies, I think, and it's just going to be a really great night. So I would encourage you um, to join us at Ellie's house. 
Um, we also have a senior Christmas luncheon um, that is coming up on the 13th. You can sign up. There are still spots available. You can sign up for that in the lobby, and there's also more information in your bulletin. Um, and then also tonight, if you are over 50, you can join um, some folks for a Christmas party in the gym at 5 o'clock tonight. You can get more information from Pam Visser, um, but it's just going to be a really great evening. There's going to be a white elephant gift and some bring an appetizer to share and just enjoy some fellowship um, with your fellow RC community in the gym tonight at 5 o'clock um, for those over 50. So um, those are some great opportunities to have community and fellowship in this next season of Advent. And as we have our second week of Advent, I'd like to invite the Pursuities forward, and they're going to share a little bit about Advent. Holy God, your light, the light of pure love and truth, shines on us to give us life. Beginning in creation, your light brought life and glory. Your light then and now is always about the fullness of our lives, physical and spiritual. Throughout all times, your light has continued to make those who truly see you fully alive. And now, Celebrating the birth of your son, Jesus, we, we recognize, recognize the, the incarnation of your light into our lives. And, and now, in the most vulnerable and intimate way possible, you give yourself to us that we might live not only in this world, but in your presence for eternity. You came as an infant, needing a mother and a father to grow and thrive in this world. You grew into a man who saw, felt, and understood the struggles, pains, and pleasures of how we live in this fallen, broken world. You came into our world knowing that to nurture us into your kingdom would require your terrible death. And you came knowing that death's darkness would not and could not stop your amazing desire to bring us fully to life in your kingdom. Through resurrection, your sacrificed blood and body feeds our lives to make your joy complete in us. As that child, you knew that you came to dwell within each one of us who will call you Lord. Your light is love, and your light is truth. To call you Lord is to live by every word of your truth. To call you Lord is to live in every aspect of your love. Your light is joy. We light the candle of joy. May our joy only be found in you.
Amen, friends. I encourage you to stand. We're going to sing a familiar Christmas carol. I think we might have done this already, but you know what? We can always sing these uh, again. Um, this is uh, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, with a, with a new little twist in the chorus.
we've written, we've lit this morning um, our, our, our joy candle, and we're going to continue with our worship. One of the, the joys we experience is new life in Christ. This morning, Mark is going to be unpacking that a little bit. And as we sing this song, we've sung plenty of times before, not a Christmas song, but again about that new life that Christ, just like an alarm clock goes on in the morning to wake us up, Christ has wakened us up with his life.
please be seated. Perhaps like me this week, you watched the highlights or the funeral of President George Herbert Walker Bush. His service provided some inspiring moments, regardless of your political position. Two things stood out to me as speaking to this morning's service. The priest who delivered the sermon noted that President Bush had presented him with a plaque that read, Preach Jesus always. If necessary, use words. Preach Jesus always. If necessary, use words. The instructions for how to do this came from the priest's recollection of President Bush's call for us to be thousand points of light. Our sermon series this Advent season reminds us about the light who has come to give us life. Through Jesus, through his light, we can be lights to the world, to give life, to preach Jesus, sometimes by words and always through our actions. Preach Jesus always. If necessary, use words. Please pray with me this morning. Lord Jesus, we come this morning to give thanks for your coming as light to our world to give this world life. We mourn for our world, steeped in division, plagued with hatred, and displaying every form of evil. Were it not for your coming, we would remain in darkness and death without hope, unable to see with nowhere to turn and with no one to lead us. But you, eternal life, have come to us to guide us into your truth and into your life. As in our service this morning, we commemorate your coming as light Send your spirit among us to inspire us and to empower us to be points of light to those around us, to bring reconciliation, to replace division, peace instead of warfare, joy where there is despair, and healing where people hurt. In the name of Jesus, who is our light and the light of the world, we pray this morning. Amen. Just a reminder for you, in between the services in the gym is a financial forum. We want to explain to you where our financial situation is, and uh, Steve will do a great job of presenting that to you. If, you. if you weren't there last week, I encourage you to make your way to the gym after the service, and I just encourage you to realize how important it is we, that we watch our finances carefully, but it's also important that the income lines up with the expenses, and right now the income is not lining up with the expenses. And so I just ask you as this special time of year, as God has been generous to us, extremely generous to us, that you also be generous because we want the ministry to be vital, strong, and alive. Let's pray. 
Father, as these gifts are given, uh, we desire that these gifts will be used for the very purpose of this service today, that the life of Christ may be proclaimed, may be lived out in our community here, in our neighborhoods and around the world. Amen. I'm reading this morning from Paul's letter to the Ephesians. Chapter 2, verses 1 through 9. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. 
All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace that you are saved. And God raised us up in Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so no one can boast. The word of the Lord. Great songs, great scripture. I love the Advent reading. And I love the prayer. And I hope you love the sermon. <laughs> After that, you know, you don't want to get up. It's been so good. But I want us to focus in on Jesus as the light of the world. Let's pray. Father, quiet our hearts for just a moment to delve into your sacred word. Father, which gives us hope and gives us life. And Father, that life is a quality of life that we experience with you. It's a quantity of life that we can live for all eternity. So Father, may we focus on you this special time of year. Amen. You know, every day is given to us as a gift from God. And you know, I've become, as I get older, just to focus in on one day at a time. I think it's good advice for all of us. I don't care what age we are can't undo the past, you can only learn from it. The future is unknown in many ways to us, but we have today. But there is certain kind of times in the calendar of the church life that are special, and this is a special time of year. It's Advent season. And how are you experiencing it? I encourage you to take a step back at this special time of year. Take some time to reflect, to think about the incredible gift we have of, of God's Son, and for some of you, uh, it's just an incredible time when you get together with your family during this Advent time. But I recognize some, it's not necessarily a very, very joyous occasion. But even then, I say to you, what can you do? Maybe there's a step or two that you can do to try to make the situation that has not been good. Something you can do to try to say, to move it in a direction that becomes more profitable and more meaningful for your family. When I was growing up, my dad uh, wrecked bringing in the tree and put it up, putting it up. He just wrecked it. He had no patience for it whatsoever. It was a terrible thing. When they had to pull the tree in the door, slap it in the stand, throw stuff up on there, and, you know, at the same time, you go over to my aunt's house, and the whole house was decorated with this most incredible, beautiful decorations. You know, I really had to work on making sure that I'm patient when we put up trees. We had to put up two trees, one up in our place up north and one in our apartment down here. And I think Holly would say that I've been very, very patient this time of year. Very patient because it's a meaningful time. Put the tree up yesterday and 
I went to bed early, and sh when I come back this morning, the whole place looks just absolutely fantastic. That's because Holly really understands what it means to bring those kinds of things into the family and make it special. I really like the theme, Light of the World. You know, light, we need a lot of light today, as Bruce's prayer illustrated the importance of light. And last week we talked about the importance of the light of Christ brings sight. When we encounter Christ and we truly live in, in Christ, all of a sudden we see ourselves as we truly are. But we also see ourselves with a newfound identity, which is in Christ. We also changes the way we see people. It changes the way we see circumstances in life. In light of a kingdom lens that comes because Jesus is the light of the world. This morning I want us to look at light brings life. The light of Jesus brings life. How does that happen? How does Christ bring life? Why is that so critically important for us this time of year? I don't know about you, but I've been very fascinated by the Mars, Mars probe, these probes that go oodles of miles, millions of miles, and land on a planet. That's unbelievable. As they're looking for any kind of, of life forms or any kind of uh, descriptions that life might have been there. But we learn in grade school that without sunlight, there will be no life. There will be no life, certainly, on this earth. The sun provides all the basis for life on earth. The sun is a source of energy for all plants and indirectly all animals. Take away the sunlight and all earth, all on earth would soon die. Sunlight sustains our life, not only due to the energy it gives us our food, but also because it helps our body synthesize vitamins. Two, it brings vitality to our red and our white blood cells. You shut up the strongest person in a dark dungeon and they become pale like a corpse. They lose their vigor, they lose their strength. They lose their power to resist disease and they waste away. You know, the sunlight is so vital to us. What an incredible world God created. Unbelievable. But even so, as light empowers us physically, the light of the Son of God is so absolutely vital to our spiritual life. For the Apostle Paul says that all have sinned and every one of us have fallen short of the glory of God and therefore we die. And the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life, that quality and that quantity of life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And what I want to do is just go deeper into something that's so familiar to us, is the gospel the good news of Christ, because it's the good news of Christ that gives life and gives vitality. Now, I want to look at a few passages this morning as I begin, and I just want us to think deeply about these passages. Let's put the first one up from the book of Ezekiel. Uh, let's get Ezekiel up there, and we'll be all right. I don't have it written down here, so I've got to get it up there. That's a good one, too. We'll get to that one. Find it there? I'll find it. I gotta, you know, I used to be the fastest one when it came to finding things in the Bible. I didn't always live it out, but boy, I could find them fast. Ezekiel chapter 33:11. Let me read this to you because I think it's really, really critically important. We'll make it, Kevin. Say to them, as surely as I live, declares the Sovereign Lord, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, 
but rather that they turn from their ways and live. Now think deeply about that. The God who in the Old Testament you see so many expressions of judgment right there. But God does not take delight in the death of the wicked. All he desires is that wicked people would turn from their ways. Why? And turn to him so they can live. They can experience genuine life. Okay, the next one, 1 John 1.5. This is the message we have heard from him and declared to you. God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. All the expression of light and goodness that we see in the world emanates from the presence of God and his activity among us. That's the verse that defines our series, The Light of the World. God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. The next one's very, very important. The people living in darkness have seen a great light. Those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is such a critically important passage because hundreds of years before that, from the lips of the prophet Isaiah comes these very words. In the anticipation of one who would come, the one who illustrates the principle of Emmanuel, that God is with us, the one who comes as a child, and the one who is unto us, a child is born, a son is given, the government is upon his shoulders, name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, when he comes, he displays to us the very character and nature of the living God. He also comes to us as the shoot from this stem of Jesse, from David's stem, this king that is promised. And the spirit of the Lord dwells upon him of wisdom and understanding, of counsel and might, and the fear of the Lord. And he establishes a kingdom ultimately of peace in our hearts now, but ultimately in his ultimate reign. Jesus is the one who has come near. He is the one that brings light in his kingdom. John 8, 12 is very, very important. Jesus spoke again to the people, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Folks, any time that we tandem together with Christ and we follow Christ, and we walk in his ways and we walk with him, we will experience the light of life. Because it's tandeming with Christ that we experience that. And Jesus wants us to understand that if we want to experience light, we have to experience it through him. The next passage is an important one too. You see how these are coming from John, the beloved apostle? Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. This comes from the apostolic witness of John, of the very words of Jesus who says... He who has the Son has life. Who does not have the Son does not have life. And now I want to get to the one that's a kicker for us. John chapter 14. I am the way, Jesus says, and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. No one comes to the Father except through me. Folks, this becomes a question of, do we really believe the integrity of the word? It really comes down to it. I've been at a number of occasions where people who are quoting this passage of Scripture leave off that last phrase. I am the way, the truth, and the life, and they great. But no one comes to the Father except me as exempted because I believe people no longer believe in the exclusivity of Christ. 
And these are words that John says came from the very mouth of Jesus. Folks, the exclusivity of Jesus is never going to be received wildly by our culture. We have to understand that. In a pluralistic culture where everything, you know, there, there's many ways to God, if God, there's a God at all. We are not going to be received widely. We're going to be received as people of great arrogance when we say that we believe in the exclusivity of Christ as the means of connection with the Eternal Father. So I don't think we have to realize we don't take our cues from culture, folks. I think we probably would have more fertile ground with an ardent believer in another religion of the world because they believe that their religion is true. They believe there's such a thing as truth. And as we have conversations with them, we can say, what about your truth claims and what about the truth claims of Christ? Because they, they believe that their religion is true and we can talk about truth claims. But you know, the gospel is so powerful to this group of people. It's the people who realize that they are utterly broken. People that realize that they can't navigate their lives and their lives are broken, they are so open to the gospel which says there is a way to God. There's a way where we can experience life, the gift of God, and a new identity they can experience. These are the ones who are ripe to come and experience the living Christ. Now, some of you want to articulate a wider hope. You want to say, no, we can't talk about the exclusivity of Christ. There's a wider hope. And I simply will just open a door a touch to simply say there might be people who have the genuine quality of what's necessary for genuine faith, articulated by Romans, articulated by Hebrews, but they might not know explicitly of Christ, but they recognize they're spiritually bankrupt. They recognize their deep need for God. And I'll leave all that to God. What God does with people is up to him, of course. But I don't think we ought to lift, live in a wider hope to the people that you and I encounter every day. Even if people don't know explicitly about Christ, Christ's sacrifice is the only means, the only means by which people can truly come to Christ, to God. It's through Jesus Christ. And I raise the question now again. Do you believe in the integrity of the word? Do you believe in the integrity of the word? How do we experience this genuine life that's so powerful? How do we experience this transforming life of our Savior, Jesus? The book of Ephesians is one of the best books for us. Ephesians chapter 1. You can turn to chapter 2 because I want you to see the text. Ephesians chapter 1 talks about all the benefits and the privileges of, of knowing Christ. He just lays it on thick. And I encourage you this week, read Ephesians chapter 1. He just lays it on thick. He talks about the spiritual benefits. He talks about our new identity in Christ. And then when he gets to chapter 2, he backtracks for a moment and says, how did we get there? He talks about how we receive this newfound life in Christ, and he feels, he seems the necessity to backtrack for a moment. And so the first nine books he backtracks to give us an understanding and a context to this new life that we have in Christ. First of all, folks, it begins by recognizing that we are spiritually dead. We have to look at the bad news before we see the good news. We are separated, folks, and estranged from God. Every human being that exists. We realize in Genesis chapter 3, we see the fall of humanity, the first family, who chose not to trust God, enticed by the evil one, and not trust God. And when we lack trust, it leads to disobedience. It starts with trust and leads to disobedience, the lack of it. 
and the whole human race as a corporate group was plunged into separation from God. And each individual, every one of us of the human race, follow the patterns of our first parents. As James says, you break the law in one way, we're guilty of all. This does not imply a cessation of our, be a cessation of our being. Of course, we still have a pulse, but we totally are non-functioning in our relationship to God, folks. We were, in our case, dead. Absolutely dead. God is active, of course, in the world in a general sense. He's at work. But God is active in many, many ways. But his activity does not translate to spiritual life apart from Christ. I don't care how spiritual people say they are. We live in a culture where people say they're such spiritual people. We have people who do wonderful acts of compassion and care and justice, great acts, and they're all good and well. But all our actions that have been described are not done out of a motivation and power that flows from a relationship with Christ because, folks, we are spiritually bankrupt. Before we come to experience Christ, every human being is spiritually bankrupt. Nothing we do by ourselves can please God when we're not in a relationship with him. We are spiritually dead. The cause of that is our trespasses and our sins. Sin kills spiritual life. Trespasses, living a life that stumbles and fails to live up to God's desired will. We're going down the wrong path. We're not going to reach the goal. Our sins, we miss the mark and target that God sets for us to live our lives, and he gives it to us for our good. You see, this is what kills the dynamic of spiritual life. Neil Strait says, sin does not serve well as a gardener of the soul. It landscapes the contour of the soul until all that is beautiful has been made ugly, until all that is high is made low, until all that is promising is wasted. Then life is like the desert, parched and barren. It drains of purpose. It is bleached of happiness. Sin, then, is not wise but wasteful. It is not a gate but only an open grave. In Romans chapter 3, Paul, the Apostle Paul, puts a litany of Old Testament passages that talk about our brokenness, talk about our spiritual deadness, in a litany of passages. Because before we experience the powerful grace of God, we must understand first that we are totally dead and incapable of connecting with God on our own. One cannot experience the relationship of God with a new life in Jesus Christ without folks realizing we are utterly and spiritually dead. I think it's important also that we acknowledge the grip of evil forces in the world that are pulling us away from God. There's three sources identified in this passage. One is the world system that is contrary to the kingdom of God. If you read the Bible carefully and you read the New Testament and the Old Testament well, you're going to realize that there is another kingdom. It might feel nebulous at times, but there's another kingdom that's talked about often that is contrary to the kingdom of Christ. In the book of Romans, as he articulates this whole path to Christ, he talks about a system that squeezes us into its mold. This world system that wants us to conform to the values, and it's a graveyard that has destroyed people. This system craves conformity, but not the conformity to Christ. 
there, folks, is a system a contrary to the kingdom of Christ. There also is an orchestrator of all that, the contrary kingdom, it's Satan himself, who's referred in chapter 12 of, of Revelation as the dragon. His purpose, folks, is to destroy God's purpose and to destroy us as followers of him. I can't believe I read a paraphrase in preparation of this message. And they, in that passage, they gave no reference whatsoever to Satan. Here's a paraphrase of, the, of this passage. It has nothing in there at all about the activity of Satan. Folks, he's active in the world. To mythify him is a danger. To ascribe more power to him is also a danger. He's active in the world. He's work, or the orchestrator of the system contrary to Christ. C.S. Lewis, commenting on Milton's paralyzed law, says, to admire Satan is to give one's vote not only to the world of misery, but the world of lies and propaganda. Hardly a day passes without some slight movement towards it in each one of us. And then he finally identifies our internal sin, sin nature as the third element, which gratifies our cravings, this internal, because of we're fallen people in all of our being, we also choose to walk away in our actions from God. Folks, these forces, as so vividly described in Revelation 12 and 13, are out to destroy us in all spiritual vitality. And he says people who are dead and who are apart from Christ are deserving of God's wrath. There's something else we want to write out of the text. We want to write out the judgment of God. As Hebrews says, people are destined to die. And after that, people face the judgment. And remember the Ezekiel passage. God takes great, no delight whatsoever, whatsoever in the death and the judgment of the unrighteous. We must understand this reality, being controlled by the world and Satan, our evil desires, so, folks, that the abundant grace of God is such an explosive reality in our lives. Just to share God's love and not realize our brokenness doesn't lead us to the explosive reality of Christ's powerful gospel. The beauty of this passage, it says, but that one, oh, but God who is rich. Here he turns the corner. The good news turns the corner, the bad news turns the corner to the good news. By experiencing God's rich love and mercy and grace and kindness. Love, what is it, that deep, and rich affection that God has for human beings. He, the reason he loves us so much, we can say it's because he always chooses to love us, or it's the very essence of his character, and you can debate that one. But the love of God is so deep and affectionate for human beings. His mercy. He refrains giving us what we deserve. Judgment and death is what we deserve. And it's a proper word of pity. We use pity in a negative sense. But he looks at our state and he says he refrains from giving us what we deserve. What a merciful God. His grace, his incomparable riches of God, his grace. Undeserved favor, freely extended to all by God. Make it no mistake of God's love and grace. I love his kindness. His kindness to us. His goodness expressed in a gentle way. I love kindness. You see, Jesus Christ came to show us first the few na true nature of God. You want to know what God is like? Look at how Jesus navigated in life. But his primary purpose is came to seek and save broken, lost people. 
which Paul says, even if we're believers, that what's our former state. What greater expression of love than God who incarnates or comes in the person of the Son, Jesus Christ, came. And he said, I am the ultimate priest. I'm going to give an offering as the priest, the great priest. But I am also the one who's going to, I'm the offering. I'm not only going to come to this world and humble myself to be a human being, I am going to give my life as the offering, the atoning sacrifice to take our place. The atoning sacrifice. How in the world could you show greater love than that? We have such a compelling story. A compelling story of God incarnate in the Son. He comes in the Son, the person of the Son, and comes and gives his life for us because we're dead. And he desires more than anything else that we become alive. Folks, ponder it. Don't get cavalier about the good news. By grace, folks, by God's incredible riches extend to us, we are saved. Not on the basis of any human performance because we're dead. But by the powerful grace of God, and we appropriate that in our life by simply receiving this gift by faith. We are that God's special handiwork to do the work of the kingdom of God in tandem together with Christ then because we choose to follow him. And we live and serve God out of gratitude for what he has done for us. Folks, we've been made alive in Christ. You might be sitting here this morning and hold to some shred of, of, of human goodness and shred of your good behavior. Any little shred of that to think that that's your basis by which you have standing with God. Folks, you're going to miss it. You're going to miss it. I go on for weeks to talk about the benefits of a genuine life. When you, Christ becomes real in our lives by faith, there's things that happen. They're powerful. We are free to live. He says that the resurrection power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is alive in our lives. That power is at work within us through the empowered work of the Holy Spirit. We're not alone. You can only appropriate the, the work of the Spirit and resurrection power through Christ. We're also assured, by the way, if we genuinely know Christ, walk with Him, a seat. A, seated, a place seated in the heavenlies with our Savior, Jesus Christ. And you look at chapter 1, I offer that as the excitement of all the other benefits that we receive. The virtue and the identity that we have now because of our Savior, Jesus Christ. I, I don't know about that quote you gave, Bruce, that from that funeral service. You know, preach Christ and with necessary words. I, I don't like that. Sorry. I don't like it. Let me tell you why. When I was growing up, I'll end soon. When I was growing up, it was all about proclaiming the word to get people saved. I don't know how much compassion we had. I don't think so because we just saw people as souls to get saved. But we had a passion that people hear the good news of Christ. Now I think we don't want to use words. We think the gospel is embodied in just compassion, mercy, and justice is the gospel. On the other hand, it is so important that we display the gospel of Christ. But people have to know why. We're great people. Look at all the compassion and things we're doing. Isn't that great? That's not going to bring them to Christ. It might be a window, 
But you've got to get to the point to say at some point with words that we have to realize that we are spiritually bankrupt. You can't come to Christ unless you're spiritually bankrupt. That's a message that people don't want to hear, but they have to hear. And you can present it with love, but it's a message that needs to be proclaimed. You can't demonstrate that one. You can only proclaim that by words. And I think we're afraid to do it because we are embarrassed about the exclusivity of Jesus Christ. I know it's true in my life because I know the response I'm going to get. But I got to get to the point because I love Jesus so much, I don't care what they think. I just care about them. And so we proclaim Christ and we live Christ and we do it whatever is appropriate for whatever circumstance that God calls us to do. Oh, Father, no people. Live in the gospel. Live it out. It's fantastic what Christ has done for us. It's through him that we experience genuine life, through his light that he sheds upon us each day. Amen.
I love services of baptism. They're like my favorite thing. Um, and so much of that has to do with my own experience of it as a 10-year-old girl um, being baptized alongside of my cousin. And funny enough, my husband was also baptized in that service. <laughs> um, that tender moment of um, coming out on the, of the water and um, recognizing the community of support I had in my young faith. Um, what beautiful moments we get to experience as a part of the body of Christ. And so often as I talk with people about baptism, um, I hear things like, you know, I don't want to have to talk in front of the whole church. Or I should have done that a long time ago. Or I think I'm too old. And friends, I just need to say in this moment that baptism is all about what God has done for us. It is not about us. And so if you are at all thinking about, man, that is a step I would love to take in my faith. We would love to come alongside of you in that. It is so good to start a new year and celebrate what God is doing. And friends, we want to be a church that celebrates what God is up to. We want to be a church that celebrates new life in Christ. We want to be a church that celebrates new steps of faith. And so baptism is a great way to start the new year. And so we want to invite you, if you're at all thinking about taking that step, we have a group of people that have already committed to um, baptism in their own lives, and we would love to talk with you about that. So feel free to talk to me or um, one of the, the staff at our church, and we'd love to share that with you. So we're going to close now, I think. Mark. Please stand. I'm tired after a message like that. I got to do it again. <laughs> but I feel extremely passionate about it because it's the gospel of Christ. And I want us to go away with the, the words from the Apostle Paul as he unfolds that great book of Romans. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation, the Jew first, and also to the Greek, which is the whole world. May we go in that reality this morning. Amen. <laughs>